This podcast is created and produced by Innovator. If you're looking to cut back or eliminate hot work on your next job, or for all of your industrial services needs, visit innovator.ca. Good day, everyone. This is Don Cooper, and this is the Industrial Innovators Podcast. And today I am super pleased to have my pal, my buddy, Dave Russell, from Russell uh, Technologies. Today we're gonna be focused on talking about corrosion under insulation inspection and Dave's innovative uh, technology that he created with his team called the bracelet probe and how that can revolutionize the way that industry can find uh, and deal with inspection, sorry, corrosion underneath insulation and other uh, piping and pressure vessel coverings. Dave, good morning. Good morning, Don. How are you? I'm doing great. And, you know, we're still, uh, we're, you know, four months into the, the chaos of COVID. And I guess the world is coming back to some sense of normal, if that's what you can call it. But I think some pieces of the way things were are coming back, but it's all kind of different. So, it's, uh, it's interesting to uh, watch how, uh, how every company and how people in the world are, are dealing with all this change and, and new ways of doing things. Um, how about yourself? Yeah, and we've uh, weathered the storm so far and we're, we're doing quite well. Um, our manufacturing department is, is full out, so that's good. That's the one that manufactures periscopes and bracelet probes. So we're Great. pretty happy with that. Did you, uh, you should have gotten into manufacturing face masks and face shields. <laughs> I thought about it. <laughs> well, you know, um, I'm not sure. I, I suspect that that whole market is doing great. I mean, I think a few months ago, if you were into that space and you had supply, you probably could have done really well. You know, today when you go, you know, back now that stores and businesses are open, you kind of go into every store today and you can literally buy hand sanitizer in five gallon buckets in some stores. So um, I think I think the world has pivoted from not having any of this stuff to having an abundance of it. And uh, it, it speaks to the adaptability of, uh, of business. So uh, I find that really interesting. You bet. Competition's alive and well. Competition is alive and well. And, uh, you know, I think uh, you can get a face mask anywhere now and you can get hand sanitizer about everywhere. And you know, on the flip side, you know, no matter where you go, so they want you to wear them. So <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I had an emergency, uh, an emergency honeydew list item last night. Our, um, our dishwasher had, uh, had packed it in and, and that was uh, an emergency in our house, but particularly for, uh, me keeping uh, the rest of the family happy. And, um, uh, I finished up my day yesterday and, went looking for a dishwasher and uh, all of the appliances in our kitchen happened to be black. Well, apparently no one, no, no, no uh, regular retailer carries that, uh, uh, that piece of equipment in black. It's all special order. And I'm a, I'm a Colby quick start. So I got it in my head. I'm going to find this thing. I'm going to tear out the old one. I'm going to install this thing today, right now. <laughs> and all, all the normal big, big box stores all had them, uh, but they all had them on special order and it was like, you know, a week, two weeks delivery. So I, I uh, kind of dug a little deeper and, and found a couple of, uh, a couple of outlet stores and uh, both of them had four or five in stock. I drove into the city at 4.30, picked it up at five o'clock and had the old one torn out and the new one installed by eight. <laughs> wow, I'm proud of you, Don. That's fantastic. <laughs> well, that was leveraging uh, that was leveraging my quick start to kind of just grab something and do it, right? Um, yeah. But the, the interesting thing, uh, you know, and I've noticed this uh, a little bit more and more, you know, we've had some free days recently where we were uh, out and about and we had rented a cottage and we had, had I dabbled in a couple of restaurants around Western Canada, and a similar experience to uh, what I what I saw yesterday. You know, you walk into this store, 
you have to stop, you have to call them before you enter the store. There's only so many people allowed in the store. They had their system set up to sanitize your hands. They had a surgical mask for you to put on and you had to have your mask on the entire time you were in the store looking at appliances. All of their staff had, uh, had masks on, including, including the uh, loading dock personnel. So, you know, and I've seen this in restaurants, I've seen it in hotels. Uh, lots of different protocols. We, uh, we, we had, uh, we were in British Columbia the week before last. Um, we had rented a cottage out on the lake in Lake Okanagan. And as we were coming back, we came back through Jasper. So we rented a, you know, we, we rented a hotel room to kind of break up the, uh, the, the drive home. And, you know, each of these places, you know, when you walk in, they ask you a series of questions, kind of all the same. Have you been out of the country? Have you been around someone with COVID? Do you have a fever? Are you feeling lightheaded or cough or um, uh, and that sort of thing? But then I get my temperature taken um, with a little digital, uh, you know, handheld thermometer. Um, uh, so you know, it's it's it, you know, it's interesting to see how quickly people adapt to uh, to this new world. I'm I'm not sure uh, how long this will go on in society, but I I assume until we uh, until the world whips this uh, virus with uh, a vaccine we'll we'll have these new protocols and yeah. fortunately fortunately we have tools like uh, like uh, th these virtual meetings so that we can all still actually get on with uh, being productive yeah we have so one Dave, of those little uh, digital thermometers at our front desk as well and uh, you know yeah. it's amazing the the price difference because uh, I ordered one it was one hundred and ninety seven dollars plus shipping. And my daughter ordered one for $59 from Amazon. Yeah. Almost identical. Yeah. Oh, you, you definitely got to ship or shop around because, you know, there are many, uh, uh, many people who, who take advantage of supply and demand. And, you know, just because it's online doesn't mean it's the most economical um, approach. You know, you can find the same product sometimes on the same site sold by different sellers for many different prices. So, yeah. You, uh, you, you, you've got to take a few moments and, and uh, check things out. So for sure. <clears throat> so Dave, let's talk about another technology that has nothing to do with viruses, but it does have to do with a big infection that almost every industrial facility has. And, and that's the, the, the trillion dollar issue of degrading assets around the world with corrosion and specifically with corrosion under insulation. Yeah, it's the, the unseen evil that's going on underneath these beautiful shiny pipes that um, uh, you see the outside cladding on the pipe and it looks beautiful, but inside the, the pipe is rotting away. Yeah. And it's happening everywhere. Uh, I, th I think the issue is, um, in some places more obvious. I, I, you know, I know if you're in a <clears throat> coastal region, it, it seems to be more profound and probably more obvious, but it happens in dry climates. It happens everywhere. So they, what is corrosion under insulation? Like what is going on there? What is causing this? Sure. Well, it's essentially uh, when the water gets underneath the, um, insulation, it gets through the cracks that are not sealed properly, then it reacts with uh, the type of insulation. Sometimes um, uh, the chemistry of the insulation itself contributes to the uh, corrosion, but it's essentially water infused with oxygen that's getting underneath the insulation. The insulation traps it there against the pipe and, um, and then the corrosion uh, process starts. So unless you can actually see some of the staining from the corrosion going on, uh, you, you are oblivious to the fact that it is uh, happening. So we've had some you know, spectacular fires caused by corrosion under insulation uh, and entire refinery um, units burned down. And, and it's, you know, I mean, there are catastrophic failures, but you know, on a, on a facility-wide basis, most facilities have, you know, dozens, if not hundreds of miles of insulated um, components, pressurized systems. 
And so, you know, even if it isn't a catastrophic failure, it's a massive degradation of, of the assets. Yeah. And, um, well, you can have corrosion, obviously, on the inside of the pipe at the same time, but usually they've got a, a pretty good handle on that um, with their inhibitors and what have you that they inject into the flow. So in a plant setting, anyway, corrosion is more likely to be on the outside of the pipe from uh, CUI than it is from the inside of the pipe due to the process. Right. And, you know, it's, it's water and obviously you know, all these facilities are just getting, you know, atmospheric water, whether it's humidity or rainwater. Um, are there other things that are happening that are causing CUI? Yeah, you can have uh, leakage of steam lines. Um, you know, up in Canada, in the frozen north here, we have a lot of uh, heating lines that run underneath the insulation to keep the product uh, uh, thin so it will flow and to stop it from freezing in case there's a plant shutdown. So these are typically um, copper pipes with unions that connect the ends together. And after a while, those unions can leak and doesn't take very much of a leak for it to accumulate moisture in that area. And that, that's a, con a significant contribution to CUI. And you're, you're talking about steam tracing that goes underneath the insulation. So you're essentially adding a moisture or a potential moisture source that you're already and that you're covering up with the insulation so we're not talking about atmosphere and we're not talking about rain we're talking about the actual heating system that the customer is using and and introducing that so if 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 the uh if the installers of the um steam tracing even accept, you know, a drip, the magnitude of what that does over days and weeks and, and months and years, you know, can cause massive, massive problems. Yeah, absolutely. It, you know, they measure corrosion in terms of mills per annum. When you're doing an ultrasonic corrosion survey in a plant, uh, they're looking for mills per annum so that they can trend it. But uh, what they're not taking into account is the localized corrosion caused by this sort of thing uh, that is attacking the pipes. And really that's the most important um, place to know where you've got thinning because um, obviously it's like a, a chain link, right? It, the, the chain is going to fail at the weakest link. And that's where the corrosion is happening. You know, I've, I've had a lot of clients talk to me about corrosion uh, over the last few years. And it's, um, I mean, obviously there's a massive amount of piping, but you know, where else are our clients seeing corrosion under insulated components? So it's difficult to seal around branches, <clears throat> especially nipples that are coming off the top of the pipe. Um, so, you know, the, the, the uh, cladding on the corrosion generally overlaps and that keeps the water out pretty effectively unless the the joint itself is damaged but when you come to a T or a valve or a um, uh, even where it's resting on a skid and it's not insulated then water can get wicked into that area and um, and really uh, get a hold on the pipe and once it's started it's it's pretty hard to stop without you know sandblasting it off and recoating the pipe you know, you know, one of the first things I did really early in my career before I, you know, really got focused on specialty mechanical uh, was insulation and asbestos removal. And uh -huh. so this was, I, 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 be, I became a, an asbestos removal certified technician in 1993. Again, that, that ages me somewhat, probably not as wise and, uh, and experienced as you, but uh, that's, that's been a while. And what I remember about what I, you know, and I did a lot of insulation removal, and I equally was then working with the insulators as an insulator assistant, doing a lot of re-insulating of, of, of systems. And what struck me as you're talking about the 
difficulty to seal around some of these unions and branches and whatnot. You know, I, I remember stripping insulation, uh, not because they were dealing with CUI, but because they were trying to do, deal with asbestos abatement and removing um, that insulation so they could do mechanical work and changes on the piping. Um, you know, I don't know what insulators do today because I haven't been involved in the insulating part of the business for a, a long, long time. But, you know, all of those unions, when they were, uh, when they, when I was removing it, they, you know, they would use different types of caulking around these joints. And yeah. I yeah. just remember that, you know, all of this, there was no, there were no seals around any of these joints when I was removing the insulation. And it was, it was profound everywhere that all of the sealants that they were using around the, you know, the aluminum and stainless steel and the corrugated materials they were using to seal, they were all, um, they, they were all exposed to moisture and, and equally and um, was, you know, so many tradespeople will uh, stand on, lean against, wrap, uh, chain falls and come-alongs around insulated components uh, causing all sorts of impact damage to uh, to insulated components because they are trying to get another job done and if those if those th those damaged insulation areas are not addressed all of those are be become new sources for for moisture to uh, to start that process and, and I've seen it everywhere and I think for many, many tradespeople, um, they, you know, if they're if they're focused on scaffolding or on piping, and they are interacting with the insulated components, you know, they probably are not aware of the long-term impact that's happening if that insulation gets damaged and then doesn't get addressed. The type of insulation will affect how much corrosion under insulation you get because some of it is very absorbent. Um, the, the, the more solid insulations don't tend to hold the water as easily. The, the water will come out the, out of the joints of the pipe uh, uh, more readily. But, you know, a fiberglass insulation or some of the foam insulations like you've got here really hold that, uh, that moisture against the pipe and, and accelerate the corrosion. Yeah, I, I remember when we were removing insulation, you know, when I was this young 20-year-old kid, and uh, I used to really, you know, be relieved when we would remove 100 meters of insulation, and it was all dry, because it was, e you know, it was easy to bag and lift and move around. The minute you got to a section of piping or a vessel that you were stripping, and it uh, and it had water that had entered, you know. It magnified the weight <laughs> for oh, us yeah. to be able to deal with it. You know, by a factor of ten, all of a sudden, you know, you know, you couldn't fill these asbestos bags, uh, you know, more than you know more than a quarter with some of this uh, water-soaked material. And so I've seen just hands-on, uh, probably thousands and thousands of meters of massive corrosion under insulation because I was removing the insulation not to deal with CUI but to remove asbestos for re-insulation uh, for a different purpose but I've witnessed so much of what you're showing us on the screen here today um, yeah. and, and so speaking of that you know outside of my experience which really had to deal with dealing with asbestos uh, how are clients um, looking for trying to find uh, corrosion under insulation today, traditionally? Two uh, techniques that have been out there for quite a long time are uh, pull steady current. That's uh, what you see on the right here. And that is measuring the thickness of the pipe through the insulation. And it'll work up to about four inches of insulation quite well but it's a very large footprint. So you tend to miss any individual pits with this and it will aggregate the uh, thickness over the footprint of the probe, which as you can see here, it's, it's probably about uh, six inches long. So the footprint would be half as much again. So say nine inches by 
by five or six inches. So and this the other is a one small, is, small handheld probe that's giving you a relatively small uh, snapshot of one little cross section of the entire 360 degrees of any one area of the piping. That's right. So to get um, readings from this, tip, typically they would grid the, um, the insulation. So they put mar uh, markers on the insulation every say four inches apart. And they would take a reading uh, every four inches to, to get an idea of what the uh, pipe looked like underneath. So that one has been around for over 20 years. The patent has, has expired on it. And uh, so there's, there's been a few people come out with um, competing technologies now. And one of them is this one called Lixi. And it's a uh, through transmission um, X-ray technique where you have a source of radiation on one side of the pipe and the detector on the other side. Now you can see how large and uh, bulky this is and how difficult it would be to manipulate it um, because really you've got to look across the bottom of the pipe and it's only giving you a tangential view. So trying to use that uh, in a pipe rack, I mean, here the guy is on the ground and he's able to reach the pipe, but here he's operating as a rope access technician and trying to do it um, in a pipe rack, which is pretty, pretty slow, inefficient and expensive. Now, I've seen two other, um, two other approaches to what clients do with CUI, uh, corrosion under insulation. One is an indirect method where they are simply looking for moisture uh, with thermal imaging cameras and looking for those hot spots where the insulation may be uh, warmer because it's holding water and therefore it's lost some of its insulating properties. Um, so that's one method I've seen. Um, I'm, I haven't seen um, data on how effective that is or how thorough that is. Do you have any insight on that approach? Um, not much, Don. I, uh, we're a manufacturer, so we're not out in the field as much as you are. Um, but anecdotally, you know, we, we have, um, we've noticed what technologies are being used out there and that's not one of them. So it, it's, it's like uh, any new technology when it first comes out, people try it, but um, I don't think it's in common use. Yeah. I, um, I've, 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 again, it's an indirect method and I kind of thought, well, you know, you're, you're not really looking for corrosion. You're looking for, you're, you're looking for the hope that there's enough moisture that you're going to be able to see a measurable change in insulation temperature. And so I haven't seen any studies on, you know, as they strip that, if they detect how much did they actually find versus how much corrosion are they finding. Um, but it, it seems to me that it, it, wouldn't be, it wouldn't be effective or efficient or accurate in actually um, finding the corrosion and finding the severity of the corrosion that you can actually deal with. Yeah, um, I think it has a spot, um, Don, you know, it can be used to screen a large area quickly and sure. then sort of zoom you into the areas that you need to look at more closely. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, and I, I, I'm a big advocate for when you are trying to deal with a problem and you have something to solve, that having several tools in your toolbox that are going to help you get to the end result in, a, in the most effective way, I think is key. But, you know, the one thing that I see a lot of clients doing and talking about, which seems very expensive and likely inefficient, um, is stripping the insulation and then manually doing, uh, you know, UT and other inspection methods after they've gotten all the insulation off and then having to re-insulate. And I, I thought this was, um, I thought this was less common. And then I, I, I had a friend, um, with me, uh, just two weeks ago. And he, he works at a facility uh, here in Alberta, and his job 
is to deal with CUI and their whole approach at their facility is stripping all the insulation in the sections that they're choosing to inspect and then sending people up on ropes to do uh, conventional inspection methods. And then when they're done with that section of piping, um, sending up insulators to re-insulate all that piping. Yeah, terribly inefficient and expensive. Yeah, and I, I think it's um, I think it's because they have used some of those uh, and experimented with some of those pulsed eddy current technologies, and found mm -hmm. that it's more effective and more cost effective to just strip the insulation and to use those small handheld probes to accomplish what they're trying to accomplish. And so uh, I think in the realm of I've got to find the corrosion, what's the most effective way that I can do this with the technologies that I know about? And so I think a lot of clients are, are stripping uh, and then using more uh, conventional approaches, you know, visual and uh, surface scans and whatnot after they get bare pipe. So there's got to be a better way, Dave. And, and I know a guy who I think in, invented the better way. And I, you know, so let's talk about what you've created and, and, and how this works and why it's better. And what we're talking about is, is Dave Russell's bracelet probe. So what's yeah. bracelet probe, Dave? Well, it's a device that, um, let me give you a visual of it. This is one of the early devices. Um, so it's improved since this, but uh, this device wraps around the pipe. Uh, you, you, can you see my screen okay, Don? I can, yeah. yeah. So that wraps around any size pipe from six inch diameter and up, including the, the insulation thickness. So that's uh, pipes um, four inch diameter and up, plus you know up to two inches of insulation. And um, it'll even do a flat plate and here you can see it wrapped around a uh, uh, bare pipe and here it's wrapped around an insulated pipe and so um, these probes will scan an area that is 10 inches wide at a speed of about a meter a minute or, or faster um, it takes so many samples per second and displays them on the screen as a color map and a series of uh, strip charts which can tell you uh, the condition of the pipe. Um, it only tells you the condition of the outside of the pipe. So unlike pulse steady current, we don't tell you anything about the inside. But the premise there was that um, the inside of the pipe is much less likely to be corroded. So if you're looking for internal corrosion, pulse steady current might be a better approach. But in our um, trials of pulse steady current, we found that it's uh, is quite poor in detection of individual pits, whereas this technique will, will detect uh, pitted areas down to about half an inch diameter through two inches of insulation. Dave, I just want to uh, uh, give a description of the, the bracelet probe uh, for all of our podcast listeners if they can't see the screen. You know, the best way I describe a bracelet probe for uh, when, I'm, when I don't have a picture to show someone is think of a think of a metal watch strap uh, that articulates around your wrist and can you know basically adjust to a small wrist or a larger wrist um, by simply articulating open or close like a uh, in in a whole series of small hinges. Yeah. Um, except that your probe, the body of your probe isn't made of, of a metal like the watch that I'm wearing here today. My Apple watch has an articulated strap. Um, your, uh, the body of your probe is not metal and it's not heavy. Um, what's, what's the body of it made of? Is it some sort of a plastic polymer? Yeah, yeah, it's a, uh, as you say, a plastic material. It, it rides on wheels, so you get a, a relatively smooth scan. And, um, what you can see on the screen at the moment is the, the bracelet probe being scanned along an insulated pipe. Um, so here we're using two guys because it's up in a pipe rack, but uh, it could be a one-man operation. Uh, you can 
the, the instrument itself is sitting down nearby on the ground or in the back of a van. And uh, you do have to uh, hit a, a go button on that to record the data. But um, this one has uh, an odometer to tell you what distance you've traveled. And you can scan, you know, a 200 foot long piece of pipe. There's, there's no limit to the, uh, the length that you can scan with this device. And the data- so Dave, the, the technology behind the bracelet probe, you know, what's the inspection method that's being used to, 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 to pull this information? Yeah, so it's electromagnetic. Um, let me see if I can pull up a, uh, yeah, there's one here. This, this um, shows you how an electromagnetic field couples to a pipe. So the, the pipe is a dark blue area here. And regardless of whether this um, exciter coil is in contact with the pipe or two or three or even four inches away from the pipe, it will couple to the pipe because the pipe is like the keeper on a magnet. It loves magnetic energy. So it will try to couple in that rather than go out into the air. Um, here you see the, the whole field around the exciter coil, uh, which does couple into the air as well. But you see, this is a dark blue pipe because all of those uh, field lines are concentrated in the pipe. So if we put detector coils um, anywhere in the vicinity of this exciter coil it will detect uh, fluctuations in that field caused by the thickness of the pipe. And what we're talking about here in layman's terms is a form of remote field inspection, um, similar to how you would use uh, remote field to do heat exchange or tube inspection. Exactly, we have um, an exciter and a, an array of detector coils, which will, um, couple to the pipe and monitor those um, variations in wall thickness for you. So variations in wall thickness, um, it, when you're talking in terms of magnetic coupling, are a time delay. And we convert the time delay to wall thickness. So right. you can actually calibrate this and tell what the depth of the wall loss is on the outside of the pipe. And, and so the, 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 the instrument that you're using, you know, bracelet is a type of probe and an inspection method with the probe that you guys uh, at Russell developed. And the, the field generator is the same ferroscope technology, the Russell ferroscope, yep. which is the remote field, field generator uh, that is also used for surface scans. It's also used uh, with your, I, I believe it's used with your sea snake technology in, in terms of, and it's, and it's used with your tube inspection capabilities. So right. what we're talking about here with bracelet is a particular application that you've developed with your remote field technology that's specific for articulating and wrapping around pipe to then inspect through insulation to find that CUI that is eating everyone's plant alive. That's right. Um, what's on the screen at the moment, Don, is the, the latest version of it, um, which is a little bit bigger, but it, um, uh, it does a better job of making the field uh, even within the um, area of inspection. So that's why this, this, uh, this, uh, this uh, technology grew in size. Um, but this is just one of the applications. Here's an insulated head on a vessel. And you can see that this uh, wraps around the vessel quite well. Um, here we could, we've got a tank, um, uninsulated in this case. So I should mention that we have uh, three types of bracelet now, Don. Uh, the one you know about for CUI inspection. There's another one that does far side pitting detection in uh, tanks, vessels, or piping, and it will detect internal pitting on those. Uh, well, the third one. And, and, that, and that one, that second one is, is uh, designed to, to inspect the, effectively the ID of the component you're inspecting when you have bare or near bare pipe, like what are the application conditions? Right, it can be coated or it can be painted as these pipes are 
Um, it can have insulation up to about half an inch thick, but essentially we're talking about um, pipes that have just got coating or yellow jacket or uh, okay. very thin insulation. And, and, and that, that instrument will give you the ability to inspect far side. When you're doing that, can you also inspect near side? Can you? Yes. And can, yes. Yeah, yeah the, the premise is that you can see everything on the near side if it's not um, an insulated pipe. So it's not as I'm important. Thinking, I'm, I'm thinking specifically if it's got tar paper or yellow jacket and, you know, a lot of those um, applications, you know, and the, the specific application I'm thinking about is on the pipeline side of things when you're doing a, an integrity dig and you want to verify what do I have and where because a smart pig is giving me an indication or you go into a compressor station or a terminal and you've got all sorts of unpickable sections of piping that is got coatings on it that you can't see the corrosion because of paint, yellow jacket, tar paper. So your second version of the bracelet is, is suitable for those kinds of corrosion surveys. That's right. Um, one application I've got up on the screen at the moment, um, and you can see it being used on the top of a force main. And a force main is uh, raw sewage. Um, of course, uh, the sewage get gathered, gets gathered from houses and the pipes get bigger and bigger and bigger as you get closer to the treatment plant. So this is a pretty big force main, uh, maybe 24 inches in diameter uh, down in the Atlanta area. And these things um, have small high spots, you know, like if you go across a, a, another buried pipe, you might loop this one over. And at those high spots, they gather H2S gas. The, uh, the gas um, corrodes the inside of the pipe, even if it's concrete lined. And um, so they, they dig up the, uh, the high spots, which they know where they are, um, just from uh, plan and profile drawings. They, they dig them up uh, selectively, and then we go along and scan. And that, so the scan length here might be eight to 10 feet. And here on the right, you can see what the, uh, the color map looks like from three scans, side by side, but stitched together. And that's on the, the crown of the pipe and uh, on each side of the pipe. And then uh, you see the, it's, it's just a traffic signal uh, color code where green is good pipe, uh, yellow is getting, uh, starting to pit, red and black are um, really badly pitted. And then we always um, go along with ultrasonics just to get a more precise uh, remaining wall measurement. <clears throat> so this is a good screening tool to tell you where the corrosion is and where you should measure with uh, ultrasonics if you need something a bit more, um, a bit more accurate. Okay. And what's your what's your third version of? of yeah, the of third the third one is is very exciting for us because one of the applications that we have is um, concrete pressure pipe, and maybe uh, most of your audience won't know what that is, but Concrete pressure pipe is a very thin steel cylinder onto which they put um, grout or concrete on the inside and the outside. And then they wrap high tensile uh, wire on about a one inch pitch around the outside of the pipe and then cover that with more grout. So the wall thickness in total might be seven inches thick. Um, we've got, uh, we modified the bracelet the, the, the guts of it inside so that you can scan along the top of one of these pipes and find one individual broken wire. And the wires oh, wow. themselves are uh, creating all the structural um, stability of the pipe. So knowing where those broken wires are is really important for people with uh, large diameter, uh, usually water, it can be wastewater supply lines. And they, usually they come from the reservoir down to a treatment plant. So some of them are really, really big, you know, 20, 21 inch, or sorry, 21 feet in diameter. Uh, you can drive a truck through there. And right. um, being able to inspect for broken wires just from one point on the circumference is pretty important. Incredible. <clears throat> so three kinds of applications, corrosion under insulation, which is our main topic today. I'm actually really excited about uh, your second version um, and I knew you had done a lot of development on that. Uh, I called it the, the bear pipe uh, bracelet in terms of my thinking. Yep. 
but I'm actually more excited to hear that it, that it's effective with with coatings, with paint, with yellow jacket, because that opens up the way that that can be used in yeah. so yeah. many different ways in so many different industries to be able to find that corrosion. And the fact that, so on your, on your bare pipe or your coated pipe type bracelet, um, you can, you can detect corrosion on the ID of the pipe or on the uh, OD of the pipe. Yes. Can your technology uh, differentiate between where it is, if it's ID or OD, or are you simply giving a, a odometer clock position? No, we can, uh, we can calibrate it for either OD or ID, detect both during the scan, and use. you have to pick which calibration you want to use. So uh, in, in the example that's on the screen, that's ductile ion pipe, and it's very susceptible to soil side corrosion as well but you don't see it visually because it leaves behind a graphite plug and all of the iron leaches out. So right. the, the pipe looks perfect, but if you run the probe across it and you see um, ID corrosion and OD corrosion, you can, you can use calibration curves for each one. Interesting. So Dave, let's talk a little bit about uh, accuracy in terms of in both the CUI application and other what are the kinds of, of corrosion indications you're finding you know and what's you know what about sizing so sizing with with any of these techniques um, that we call electromagnetic they're not as accurate as ultrasonics they, they never will be but um, we in, for remote field, we talk in terms of uh, plus minus 15% on pits and plus minus 5% on general thinning. So we can tell the difference between, you know, a schedule 20 and a schedule 40 pipe easily because that's, that's like general uh, wall thickness change. Uh, for pitting, um, we use what we call differential coils for um, small pit discrimination. And we use the phase angle of, of those uh, indications to tell us what the depth of the pit is. We tend to use uh, what we call absolute coils for general wall thinning. So what you're seeing on the screen at the moment is actually from the absolute coil. And if we were to look at the differential coils, you would see within those uh, red and yellow areas, you'd see individual um, small spikes as well from uh, individual pits. Okay, so you're you've got this range of general corrosion and sizing using using absolute and differentiating coils. <clears throat> what what about reporting? What what are you able to give the client in the field? What kinds of detailed reporting um, can you give the client? after the project and, and what's the, and let's just talk about the whole methods and capabilities and timing for, for reporting. Yeah, so um, reporting, there's a reporting function built into the Ferroscope software. So you can report instantly. And so there's two methods of uh, the way people operate these. Some people want to gather the data as quickly as they can and then analyze it later. So it might be analyzed overnight or the next day, or even if, if you've got a lot of data, it could take a week to analyze it all. But um, a lot of people also will do a scan of say 10 feet or 20 feet, analyze that, uh, click the report button, the report is automatically generated. And then the, before they leave site, they're giving the customer at least a preliminary report which points out where all the, the obvious um, thinning is and any, any places where they need to take immediate action. And then they might look at that data in more detail in the next few days and give a final report, which tells them you know, every individual pit and what its depth is and what its location is. Okay, so <clears throat> depending on the urgency and the interest from the client, you can be giving them preliminary reporting almost in real time, certainly, you know, as it's happening in the field, um, yeah. you know, on an individual shift. And then if there are, is more detailed analysis that happening in, in the, 
in the days or a week, depending on the volume of, of inspection, uh, to do that after. Um, now, now, Dave, we're, you know, we compared this to, you know, handheld um, spot sort of scanning tools, but your instrument is effectively able to cover 360 degrees of the piping um, in depend, you know, in one or a few passes. Can you explain how that works? Yeah, so depending on the pipe size, um, we're only inspecting 10 inches wide in each scan. So if you've got a 24 inch line like it's on the screen at the moment, you might need six passes to do 360 degrees of that. But you'll notice that this application, they don't even excavate the bottom of the pipe because that's not where the problem is. Uh, if you were um, to inspect a pipe in a pipe rack, you'd be uh, limited or perhaps limited by proximity of other pipes in the pipe rack. So you might want to choose to do just the top and the bottom of the pipe. The likelihood of, in, of uh, CUI on the sides is low, lower anyway than on the top or bottom. So that uh, limits the, uh, the amount of work that you have to do to inspect it. Uh, one other application is for corrosion under fireproofing. And um, uh, corrosion under fireproofing is, for instance, uh, on pipes that are um, uh, supporting uh, spheres. Let's see if I've got a picture of that. Must be the other one. You're, you're talking about things like a butane storage sphere and it's yes. got these large structural legs that are effectively standing this thing up on its pillars. That's right. Yeah. And what happens with those, if you have corrosion under the uh, proof, uh, fireproofing, you can get failures of butane storage spheres like this. And th this is a real failure in, uh, in a plant in France. Luckily, it didn't explode. Um, uh, how so the, I don't know, but you can see the, the legs. The, of, yeah, the, the structural support legs actually collapsed and the sphere fell to the ground. Yeah. Um, so we, uh, we can inspect those by use. This is a modified bracelet, which covers a much longer arc distance. So I think this one's 42 inches. And uh, we can fix it to the, um, the outside uh, radius of the pipe. And then we pull it up with a, uh, a rope to the top of the leg. So you can imagine on uh, a sphere like this, we're going up from the bottom up to this um, uh, flange where above that it's bare pipe. So this is the only part that we're really interested in. And these, like any uh, cement, it cracks over time. It cracks as it shrinks. And that allows water to wick in to the uh, support leg, which is basically um, like a 24 inch um, uh, SCED 80 pipe. And right. um, uh, you don't notice any corrosion going on unless there are um, rust stains on the outside of the uh, CUF, uh, which you can get, but I mean, it doesn't tell you what the uh, amount of uh, corrosion under the fireproofing is. Okay. So we're talking about applications with, with, for clients on insulated piping, on jacketed or coated piping, um, tanks, pressure vessels, heat exchangers. I've had um, clients with a lot of, um, and I've seen this several times because we do repairs on these kinds of, of, you know, of all these kinds of CUI. We, we are going in and, uh, and doing um, rehabilitation of the piping using composite pipe repair technologies. Uh, I'm seeing a lot of inquiries around um, corrosion on tanks around the skirting and on the tank roofs on insulated systems. Um, how can how can we help there with, with bracelet, with detecting those kinds of issues? Yeah, it's um, perfectly adaptable to tanks, uh, both on the wall and the roof. 
Uh, of course, you got to think about safety when you're putting men on a roof, uh, which could be paper thin. Um, so, you know, having a little robot to, um, to pull the bracelet probe up uh, and across the tank is probably a smarter way to do it. Uh, but yeah, it, it, uh, it'll work on flat surfaces. It would work also on tank bottoms um, from the inside of the tank and through um, fiberglass insulation that the tanks are often coated with. And some of that is pretty, pretty thick. You know, it can be three eighths of an inch or, or thicker. So this will work through that as well. Um, it it kind of picks up where the MFL technique uh, leaves off. So the thicker the uh, coating on the inside of the tank floor, the the more uh, poor the um, the MFL response is because it's not coupling properly, and that's where this comes in because it couples right through up to about four inches of uh, coating thickness. So on thicker materials, and when we're talking about inspecting through insulation, your limitation is about four inches of insulation thickness? Currently it is, yeah. Okay. Which, you know, that's a lot of insulation. Um, that's unusual. And, and, then, and then if you want to get into both OD and ID capabilities, uh, using the second style or what I'll call the, the bear pipe bracelet, um, then the the limit for that kind of work was what? You say half, half inch, three quarters of an inch? Um, yeah, you, it depends on the magnetic permeability of the material. So sure. if it's a, um, a low carbon steel, we may be able to do up to about five eighths of an inch. I don't think we could push it much more than that if you want to detect far side corrosion. Uh, now having but for most app most applications that have paint or yellow jacket or a, a tar paper, you know, some of the older uh, piping systems, yeah. those would all be suitable for that kind of technology. Yes. Okay. Yeah, and, awesome. and having said that, we we can't get through more than a half inch. Um, if you had, let's say, a three quarter inch thick uh, pipe or or pressure vessel, and you scan that, your threshold of detection will will just be a little bit less uh, than the half inch. So in other words, if um, you don't start picking up internal corrosion on a three quarter inch thick vessel until it's 50% deep instead of 25% um, deep for the thinner wall. Gotcha. Okay. Um, Dave, how did you develop this technology and sort of where did it start and, and how has it evolved? And I, I, I have a little bit of insight into this because we've talked about it before, but I'm just curious if you could sort of um, walk us through where did this come from? How was it developed and, and what kinds of testing have you done? Sure. Well, um, back in 1984, we discovered this remote field technology uh, that was owned at the time by Shell. So we, uh, we bought a license to it. And the, the very first remote field instrument in the world was created by us and it was marketed as the Ferroscope 101. And that, that was about 1988, 89. Um, and then, you know, applications for remote fields started to crop up. So it, it was initially designed for internal uh, probes for heat exchanger tubes made of carbon steel. Then we applied it to six inch uh, pipe where we're inside the pipe. The pipe was um, water mains um, that are, you access through fire hydrants. So we made a probe that would go, you know, a, a kilometer down the pipe on following the flow, but on a tether so we could pull it back out the same way. And then, um, you know, other applications came up and this is just another of the uh, the applications that came up. So everything that we do is market pull. So a customer will come to us with a problem and say, you know, have you got anything that will detect corrosion under insulation? And we thought about it and we thought, you know, uh, this has got a good chance of uh, detecting it. So we went through an iteration of different probe styles and you saw the very early ones uh, on the slide deck. Um, and now we're on about the, the fourth iteration of that. And along the way, we've tested it on bare pipe. And by the way, the, the inside of the bracelet probe 
is different for each of those three applications. So the coil orientations and the, the way it works is different, but they all interface back to the Ferroscope, which is a 16 channel, two frequency instrument. So you can get array information out of that, you know, and the cost of the bracelet probe is, is relatively inexpensive compared to the cost of the Ferroscope, but you can, you can plug all sorts of probes into the Ferroscope um, for all sorts of applications. And that was our, uh, our basic uh, goal to make an instrument that's really, really um, uh, applicable for a lot of different applications. So basically each time you're developing a new use case for remote field, Ferroscope being the field generator instrument, and then each of these new applications create effectively new probes um, and it's all based on what needs solved. That's right. And they're all using what we call remote field eddy current, um, which right. has to have an exciter coil and a detector coil, at least one detector or an array that are separated by some distance. So um, in some of our inline inspection tools, we've taken the, the principle that the Ferroscope works on and we put it into a smart pig. And those smart pigs now, after you know 25 years of developing these things, uh, we do size ranges from three inch to 78 inch diameter. All right. with and the we, same we, technology. And, and that's your your sea snake application. That's right. Um, but we, we've already done a podcast on that that will air in this series of of subject matter expert, uh, you know, being you on on remote field technology. So that, you know, if customers are hearing this one, there's another episode where we're talking specifically around the smart pig applications that, uh, that you've developed. Um, Dave, where do you see um, going with, uh, with, with the bracelet sort of range of applications? Have, have you got other ideas on where you're gonna take this? Well, Don, we are actually working on a pulse eddy current uh, bracelet um, because market, the market has told us that they want to see ID corrosion at the same time as OD corrosion. Um, we're at the stage where we've evaluated the competition. Um, we're not that impressed with what they can do, so we want to see if we can do better. And, you know, it, it remains to be seen whether we can because pulse steady current suffers from this um, footprint size of the uh, detector coils. But we, we've, we've been doing nothing but electromagnetic uh, instrument development and probe development since 1984. So we consider um, ourselves subject matter experts for that. So we, we think we can do a better job than what's out there. Uh, the other things that we're working on are, are very, um, very interesting. They're not necessarily um, exactly what we're talking about today, uh, being a bracelet probe, but they are inspection of concrete pressure pipes. Now, concrete pressure pipes, as I described before, have a, a strength member that's wound around a very thin cylinder pipe. Um, by the way, they used to make these pipes during the war because steel was hard to come by. So they, they uh, adapted this idea of, of wrapping a very high tension, uh, high tension and high tensile uh, wire around the outside of the thin pipe to give it uh, structural strength. So what we're finding is that uh, this electromagnetic technique that we use called remote field eddy current is also very sensitive to stress. Uh, you can imagine when you wind a, a wire onto a pipe under very high tension, high tension load, you're stressing the cylinder to a degree, right? It's, it's like squishing a ball. Um, now, when you break the wires, the ball wants to expand again. So we call that um, a change in the preload on the pipe. And uh, we're getting pretty uh, amazing results by finding places in pipelines where they've got stress, localized stress on the pipe, not only caused by broken wires in concrete pressure pipes, but caused by things like shifting anchor blocks, um, you know, on a riser to a, uh, in, in a, uh, an oil and gas situation, you, have, uh -huh. you usually have a thrust block or, or an anchor block 
just before the riser, and those things tend to sink. As they sink, they put pressure on the pipe. You can also have it where a pipe is, is um, moving down a side hill because of geological factors, um, and uh, that puts pressure on or stress on the pipe at both ends where um, it concentrates. Lots and is that the, is the resulting the resulting defects the clients are seeing is is that you know stress corrosion cracking is that effectively what will end up happening? Well, it could be stress corrosion cracking. It could be denting or buckling of the pipe, um, and we detect it well before it actually deforms. So you get the stress in the pipe years uh, or months in advance of any physical change. So knowing where these spots are and being able to monitor them to see if they're getting worse is, is pretty valuable. Now we've also made an internal bracelet probe. Now the internal bracelet probe is for this concrete pressure pipe application where the cylinder is quite thin. So when I say thin, I mean between 120 and 160 thou in thickness. And uh, we're inspecting through about an inch to two inches of concrete on the inside of the pipe to detect cylinder corrosion, ID or OD. That's thin enough that we can actually see ID and OD at the same time. That's awesome. I, I'm really excited as, as these new technologies are, are coming out. Dave, do you have any final thoughts on um, on this particular application? What customers, how cust how should customers be thinking uh, about dealing with CUI or dealing with corrosion under fireproofing, dealing with corrosion under coatings? Now that there's this new method that you've created that. Uh, gives them more options, you know, compared to what they're doing today, how should they be thinking about making this change and, and, and you know, potentially investing in a, in a new way of doing things? Yeah, so the way customers should be thinking about this, Don, is the most cost-effective large area scanning technique or screening technique available. You can detect corrosion under insulation at speeds up to uh, one meter a minute. Uh, with a two-man crew, that's that's pretty cheap inspection. You don't have to remove the insulation. You don't have to cut holes in it. You just scan it and then look where the the technology is telling you to look for the uh, the effects of corrosion. And if, and if the customer wants some, you know, much more deeper, accurate measurements, uh, you know, effectively what they can do after we do wide area scanning is they can go in and do some localized true up if they want to understand if we've told them there's a 25% defect of this potential size and range in this area, they can then hone in with their traditional methods just in those specific areas to, uh, you know, if they need deeper qualification of some of those defects. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they can. It could be just as simple as um, putting in a two-inch access hole for an ultrasonic uh, thickness meter to uh, to take a reading right in the area of interest. Much more um, cost-effective than stripping 100 meters of piping. Absolutely. Now, Dave, uh, w w you've got something else going on that um, I I'm really excited about, and I'm. I'm I'm happy to say I had a little part to play in, in influencing you on this. Uh, you are my world expert that I go to for all things remote field eddy current. But you've got something new that you've re recently done. You've written a book. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah Why don't we, uh, what, what's the name of the book and what it's, what's it about? Well, the, the, the name of the book is The Hidden Miracle. And it gets that name because I'm just enamored. I'm in love with um, electromagnetics. So I trace the origins of electromagnetics back to um, pre-Christ. And, um, you know, it goes all the way back to uh, the Greek thinkers where they noticed things like uh, static electricity and uh, magnetism in lodestones, and what the early uses of, uh, of these effects were in non-destructive testing. So 
it's pretty boring in terms of, um, you know, it's, it's not light reading for somebody that wants just to be entertained. But if somebody has the same passion that I do for electromagnetics and how they can be used to inspect materials, um, I think it's, it's one of the, you know, essential reading items that you should have on your bookshelf. Well, uh, you told me before we, um, we started recording this show that you've got my copy coming. Yes, and, I do. Um, and um, I also understand it's available uh, or will be available on Amazon. Is it live today or when does it go live for people to go grab that book? Um, apparently it's live, Don. I haven't checked it myself because I just found out a couple of days ago that it, it has its Amazon number and so on. So you should be able to look it up. But if uh, people, if your audience are interested in a free copy, all they need to do is to contact you or me and ask for it. And uh, they will be, um, I'll be most happy to supply one. Wonderful. So you can reach out to the uh, Industrial Innovators podcast. Uh, on this episode page, we'll share some links for you to get that book. You can reach out to uh, myself, uh, Don Cooper, and that's uh, dcooper at innovatorind.com, and to Dave, and you can get a copy of The Hidden Miracle and the history of electromagnetics and the, uh, the miracle that it is in terms of being able to inspect. Dave, what is your email address if people want to reach out to you, ask questions, or to get a copy of your book? Sure, Don, it's uh, drussell at russeltech.com. Two S's and two L's in both Russells. And uh, Russell Tech is uh, T-E-C-H at the end. Well, and I don't know if it'll be dozens or hundreds of thousands of people who read the book, Dave, but for everyone who is interested in what they can do with uh, electromagnetics in inspection, I can say that there is nobody on the planet that I trust more than you. Thank you very much, Don. That's, that's, uh, that means a lot coming from you. Uh, Dave, it's always a pleasure. I always enjoy our chats. Um, we've got some more podcasts coming up. I think we're going to be talking about um, your, um, one of your other offerings. Uh, is it uh, Condor? Contour? What, what is that? Uh, technology oh, that we're talking uh, about the, re the recon plus oh, it's, um, recon yeah yeah leak go. detection tool that you can run through your pipelines and detect all sorts of things besides leaks wonderful yeah, i'm exciting. looking forward to that chat so i think we've got that one coming up in a few weeks we're going to record that episode and then uh, uh as people listen to each of our subject matter expert episodes with dave russell you'll You'll learn about the smart pig versions of remote field. You'll learn this episode around all of these great um, bracelet applications. And, uh, and then we're going to get into recon and, and leak detection, which I'm excited to hear about that one. I, I was working with some of your team a few weeks ago and, and someone mentioned that new service. And I said, that's something that Dave's doing that I don't know about. Why don't I know about that? <laughs> uh, so uh, we just decided we're going to record an episode and cover that one next. So, you know, look out for that episode. And uh, Dave, always a pleasure, sir. Thank you so much for coming on the show again. And uh, if you want more information about Bracelet, you can, uh, we'll share some links with you in the episode page here. And you can always reach out to, uh, either Dave or myself. Dave's the manufacturer. We work with Dave's technology in uh, in Canada, and he's got global partners as well. So anywhere on the planet, if you want to use a bracelet to detect uh, corrosion, uh, Russell has a way to get that technology in your hands. Thanks again, Dave. Pleasure's all mine, Don.